Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning. It's good to see all of you here this morning. I mean, it's really kind of... I don't want to do that. I'm going to go over here. It's really kind of crowded out there. Uh, you know, I was thinking about it. Uh, two years ago, stood up here to preach roughly about the same time of year, and it was empty because we were mid-COVID. And now, well, with the exception of the guys in back and us who were up front, uh, but now, so praise God, guys. Uh, God is good and brings us through all sorts of... Yes, I'm going to dismiss the kids in a second, I, although I don't know who's actually being dismissed because I can't remember. Uh, so praise God for that and, and rejoice in the fact that we are all here gathered in this place to, uh, to worship together uh, despite two years ago being crazy, even last year being down. Um, this, is, this is great. This is great. All right, kids, I don't know who's supposed to go today. Uh, whoever's supposed to go today, e- e- EGC? All right, cool. You're all out. And the rest of you have to suffer through me for the next hour and 20 minutes. I'm kidding. Won't be an hour and 20 minutes. Uh, my name is Darden Kaler. I am one of the pastors here at Refuge Church, and uh, it is good to be back home. We spent the last two weeks in San Antonio dropping off our daughter, dropping off our daughter at college for the, you know, our youngest. We, our two oldest still live with us. Our, our, our youngest was the first one to move out. Um, that is not a criticism of my two oldest. It's just a, uh, a fact of life that sometimes that's the way it works out. But also, it's a, uh, it's, a, it's a comment on what it's like to be a parent, because someday, they leave. <laughs> Which, some of you may be going, that's awesome! I'm so tired right now, they just drive me nuts. I get it, totally get it. My kids used to drive me nuts, too. Uh, but just about the time you get to liking them a lot, you know, not just loving them as your children, but liking them a lot, they, they go. And that's okay, that's part of the way it works. But uh, I'm glad to be home because uh, I, I preached last week at the church that I used to work at in San Antonio. And there's a, you know, a lot of turnover in, in the 17 years that we've been here. And I don't recognize all the faces anymore. I don't recognize a lot of the faces anymore. But when I come here, there's a lot of faces in the crowd that I don't recognize today, I admit. But, but for the most part, I recognize the, the majority of you. And so it's good to be home. It's good to be among those that you know and you love. Um, along those lines just for those of you who don't know me, I was, I was born and raised in Iowa. Uh, nothing remarkable about Iowa. I, <laughs> okay, so, so some people really love it. Uh, I, I, and I'm, that is not a criticism at all. I should have said that entirely differently. That would, that, okay, let me start again. I was born and raised in Iowa. It's a lovely state. If you've never visited there, I highly recommend you try it sometime. But my upbringing was totally average, right? Just middle class, wonder years average. If, you want, if you've ever seen the, the original Wonder Years, it, it was just like that, except not California, it was Iowa. Um, same upbringing, except I was a little younger as well. But um, th- the one thing unique about the house or the place that I grew up was that my parents raised me in a home that you might say had this uh, open-door policy. People came and went just on a regular basis. My mother had an in-home daycare, and uh, you know, so parents were coming to pick up kids at all times, and, and, and the kids would often come over because many of them were my age and they would come over and they'd just come in because they were used to that. Neighbors would stop by and they would just walk in. No knocking, 
They just walk in. People came into our house at all hours of the day, sometimes really late, when my, when my older siblings were teenagers, sometimes really late, and they never knocked. They just came in. It's just open door. Come in. Make yourself at home. Be, be a part of this, this group, this family that's here. They hardly ever knocked. Sometimes when they came in, they were so comfortable that they'd, they'd just come in and they'd sit right down. They didn't wait to be asked to be sat down, you know, asked to sit down or whatever. They just sat right down. Some would even come in, go to the refrigerator, grab a soda, grab a, grab a glass of water, grab something to eat. Then they'd come in and they'd sit down. They'd put their feet up on the chair or whatever. It just was that sort of place. The place where you just kind of felt comfortable to go in and hang out and be. The type of place where you wanted to be. Where the type of place where people wanted to be. Many years after... Um, after my mother start, uh, stopped babysitting, stopped having an in-home daycare, kids would come over that were teenagers, that were adults. They'd still come in without knocking, put their feet up, relax. Even when they weren't home. <laughs> Even when my parents weren't home. Next door neighbor was a kid that my mother babysat. He would come over with his key when his parents didn't have anything in the house to eat, unlock the door, come on in, find himself something to snack on, watch TV at our place. It's just that sort of place, a place where you could relax, a place where you could be welcomed, a place where you could be yourself. I, I, it was so common in, in, in my household that I thought everybody was raised that way. I just thought that's, that's how it was. I, I learned that it wasn't when I started dating Belinda. I walked into her house unannounced without knocking one time, and her dad growled at me. Um, it turns out later I learned that that was a sign of affection. But, but it still was one of those things where it, it, it was like, oh, maybe this isn't what everybody does. Maybe this isn't the way everybody lives. But generally speaking, Belinda and I have tried to continue that, that same feeling in our own house. We've often said, if you come over, you don't need to knock, just, just come on in. Now, there, there are, there's a caveat to that now. <laughs> there's an exception to that rule. If we're expecting you, there's no reason to knock. Just come on in. We know you're going to be there. We know you're headed here. Just come on in. Don't knock. But if we're not expecting you, at least at the time that you show up, maybe it's better that you knock. We started this policy when we lived in San Antonio. Um, we used to have worship practice in our home. We had a drum set and a piano and different instruments set up in our living room. And every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, the worship team would come over and we would just run through the songs together, work out any kinks, any details, things like that. One particular afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, uh, I was upstairs showering, it was about 4 o'clock, and Josh comes upstairs, I think he was 6, 7, 8 years old, he comes running upstairs, he's like, Dad, Dad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call the, the, the gentleman, I'm going to say his name was Jack, because the, I don't want to use his real name. Um, and so he says, Jack. And I said, yeah, Mr. Jack's coming over a little bit later. He said, no, 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 Jack. Jack's downstairs right now. And I'm like, no, you must be mistaken. He can't be downstairs right now. It's still three hours before worship practice. No, Jack's downstairs right now eating ice cream. So I got dressed and I went downstairs. And sure enough, there's Jack in the recliner with his feet up eating a bowl of ice cream, watching TV. Now there was a part of me that was like, dude, what? <laughs> what are you doing? But I couldn't really get upset. He looked at me and he said, oh, I hope you don't mind having some of your ice cream. You've always said this was God's house, so I decided I'd have a little bit of God's ice cream. And how could I argue with that, right? We, we do say, this is God's house. 
the homes that we've lived in have always belonged to God because God is the one that gives us everything that we have. So it's God's house. If it's God's house, it's not my right to just say, you, you know, come in only when I've asked you to come in. Come in. Make yourself at home. Relax. Just let us know if you're going to be three hours early. I might be coming out of the shower and running through the house or whatever. Just make sure you announce yourself so that we know you're there. It'd be best for all of us. Nobody can unsee that. So anyway, that's what hospitality is. That's what hospitality is. We're going to talk about hospitality today. What does it mean to be hospitable? Where does hospitality come from? What does it look like on a grand scale, on a, on, on a godly scale, so to speak? When we look at uh, various dictionaries, look at Merriam-Webster Dictionary Online, it says this. This is, <laughs> this is the definition. This is my favorite. Hospitality is hospitable treatment, reception, and so on of others. Now, let me give you, let me give you some advice. If, if you're going to, to look up a word in any dictionary, whether it's a hardcover dictionary or it's online or whatever, if you're looking it up and it uses a form of the word to define the word, get a new dictionary. That is not good. It, that's terrible. It tells you nothing. To say hospitality is being hospitable just says, I don't, I, don't even know. I don't even know how to describe it. You get the idea. Look it up in a different dictionary. So Cambridge Dictionary. Uh, to be hospitable is to be given to generous and cordial reception. Harper's Bible Dictionary. Hospitality is the act of friendship shown to a visitor. This idea of hospitality uh, that we have, the word, uh, is derived from a Latin word, hospice. Hospice. Hospice, which means host, guest, stranger, or ironically, also enemy. <laughs> How does that work out? I don't know. Never took Latin. But, that, but that's, that, that's the basis of the word. And from that word, we get words like host, hospice, hostel, hostile, hospital, hotel, and so on. See the connection there? It's all about an interaction with people. It's all about uh, connecting with people in one way or the other, whether it's negative or positively in some way, right? So throughout, throughout history, hospitality has been one of those things that has been an honored tradition. It's been an honored thing to be hospitable. Like, it was something that was so important to society that, that people wanted to do it. These days, it seems a little less so, for understandable reasons. COVID, crime, whatever, whatever it is your concern might be, the fact is, is that inviting people we know into our house is difficult, let alone complete strangers. That seems crazy. Who on earth would invite a complete stranger into their house? And yet for the believer, the Bible has much to say about hospitality. Passages are littered throughout both the Old and New Testament. I'm going to give you two for an example. Leviticus 24, uh, verse 22. Love the sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So love the traveler, love the one that is passing through. For you, you were passing through at one time. You were someone who needed that same kind of kindness. Galatians 6, 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Of course, if we think about it, the best example of hospitality is God himself. God is a hospitable God. God might be said to be the, the, the preeminent of hosts. He hosts his people. He calls them in. He brings them into his presence, into his fold, into his family. He is a very hospitable God. One passage that demonstrates this best, I think, is John 
14, verse 1 through 3. And the word hospitality doesn't actually appear in the passage, but I think you'll get the idea as soon as we read it together. We're going to read it right now. All right? So John 14, verse 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. This is the word of the Lord. When Jesus speaks of hospitality in this passage, he, he's, he's speaking of something a little different than the way we think of hospitality. He's actually linking it to our salvation. God is calling his people in. God is inviting his people in, in a hospitable way, in a way that we think of hospitality. hospitality. But salvation is, is directly linked to that. Think about this. In, in, in Genesis 3, remember Adam and Eve sinned. They were in the garden. They were living in the immediate presence of God, and they were, they were in the garden. And yet, uh, the passage we read a little earlier, they sinned against God. And as a result, they were banished from the garden. More importantly, though, being banished from the garden, they were, they were cast from, from God's immediate presence. They were, they were sent away from him. They were turned away. But what we see happening here in John 14 is, is, is the exact opposite. This is God inviting his people back in. This is God saying, this is a place for you. I'm creating a place for you. I'm preparing a place for you. A place that where I am, you may also be. Back in God's immediate presence presence it's not unlike the sentiment that david expressed in psalm 23 where he says surely goodness good goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and i will dwell in the house of the lord forever dwelling in the house of god forever it's no coincidence that we read that passage at gravesides and funerals and so on because when we when we hear that passage when we hear those words what happens is we are there's this, there's this supernatural peace that comes about us. We recognize that suddenly God, God not only cares for us and saves us from our sins, but he brings us back into himself and restores that relationship that was broken by Adam and Eve and consequently by our own sins. John 14 shows us how this peace then is connected to that hospitality. It shows us how Christ's promise of God's hospitality provides peace for our lives. It provides peace that we can go on amid everything that's happening in the world around us. And, and believe me, every generation, every generation that has lived before us and every generation that will come after us, I, I, I'm assuming, will, will say, oh my gosh, could things get more crazy? It just feels that way because we're in the midst of it. But God's word, the hospitality that he offers to us, brings us peace. It assures us that we too will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that should put our minds at ease. For in God's house, no one goes without. No one, no one lacks anything. No one wants for anything. There's no more death, no more dying, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain. God himself will be our God. We will be his people. We will be in his midst. And he will provide everything that we could ever possibly need or want. Now, it's important to understand that as Jesus brings this hospitality into, into, into light, the hospitality that, that was being practiced in that day was different than the hospitality that we practice in our own day. Unlike the hospitality in our own culture, which is, 
typically voluntary, right? We don't have to do it. It's not something that we're required to do. It's not something that we're even necessarily pressured to do. Voluntary, it's informal. We, I mean, maybe you have cotillions at your house or, you know, whatever. But, but chances are people just come in, they have dinner. You pass bowls around and, you know, you scoop out. It's a it's family-style dinner. That's, that's what hospitality is like in our own day. It's very informal, it's voluntary, and so on. But in Christ's day, it was a bit different. Hospitality was not just a courtesy, it was an obligation. It was something that was expected of everyone. It was an interaction that was governed by various customs and unwritten rules. Things that people knew they had to do for the visitor in their home. We might think of it as entertaining uh, friends in our own day, but back then hospitality was more, more akin to people staying with you. People coming into your house, like a, like a missionary or, or uh, an exchange student. When, when that happens, when, when we invite a missionary or an exchange student in, we don't say, okay, come on in, and then just leave them to themselves. We show them where everything is. We, we tell them to make themselves at home. We say, you know, come on in. Here's where the towels are if you want to take a shower. Here's, here's where you could get food out of the refrigerator. If you want to make something, here's where the pots and pans are. Here's where the dishes are. Here's where the dish soap is. Don't forget to do the dishes. You know, that sort of thing. We, we, we have this opportunity. We, we, when we connect with the people in that way, we're, we're showing them everything. We're not just leaving them on their own. We don't do that every time somebody comes over for dinner, but certainly when someone is staying with us. That's sort of the situation that was hospitality in, in Jesus' day, right? And undoubtedly, what happened when those things were happening was that friendships would develop out of those relationships. As you spent time with people, you got to know people, uh, there, a bond would be made. You'd have this relationship develop out of it. And even if you didn't ever see that person again, you would still remember them fondly. You would still consider them a friend. People who started out as strangers never went away that way. That's the cultural context that Jesus promises God's hospitality to his people. He's inviting us into the, the peace of his father's house in, in, a, in a way that says, I'm, I'm going to care for you. And what I want you to do then is welcome others just as I have welcomed you. To welcome others just as I have welcomed, welcomed you. And we see in today's passage that means four things for Christ. He, he does it, or three things for Christ. Uh, he does that in three different ways. Uh, he welcomes us into his protection, he welcomes us into his provision, and he welcomes us into his rest. So implicit in Christ's invite into the Father's house is the promise of protection. In his day, traveling was not safe. Roads were not developed, they were not well lit, they were not paved. They were treacherous, they were dangerous. Not only just from natural problems, natural things happening, roads washing out, rocks falling on you, whatever it might be, but, but robbers hid throughout the hillsides to, to take everything that you have and leave you for dead. It was dangerous to travel. And since travelers had no legal standing in towns that they would pass through, it was important for travelers to find refuge in a home where someone did have legal standing and could say, no, this person's under my protection. Thus, while Jesus doesn't explicitly offer protection in John 14, it's implied in being in God's house. God is saying, if you're, if you're in my house, you're in my presence. And if you're in my presence, what could possibly hurt you? It's a theme repeated time and time again throughout the Bible. Just for one example, Psalm 4.8 
In peace I will lie down. So this is, this is the idea of hospitality. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The idea is that God is a hospitable God that, that, that calls people into his presence. And when we're in his presence, indeed, we are safe. To be in God's presence is to be safe. So Jesus invites his followers, he invites us, into that safety of God's house by saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In the immediate context, what's happening in this particular, te- in this particular passage is that uh, Jesus has just celebrated uh, the Passover for the, for the last time with the disciples, right? And the events of those previous days, previ- of that previous day had, had sort of set them on edge, Jesus predicted his own death. Jesus speaks of a coming darkness. Jesus forecasts Peter's denial. He, he foretells of, of Judas's betrayal. This, this would have been hard to hear. Your leader is, is demonstrating anxiety. Jesus even says his heart is troubled. His heart is fearful. I mean, think about it for a second. If you're on an airplane, if you're on an airplane and you're flying along and the... Tell me which one you want to hear. Do you want to hear the, the, the if, if you run into a little tur- turbulence, do you want to hear the, the pilot go, okay, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we've uh, hit a little turbulence. Make sure your seatbelts are fastened tightly and uh, we'll be passed through this quickly. Or do you want to hear him say, oh my gosh, we're going to die! You want, you want the calm. You want the peaceful. And for, for the disciples to see Jesus even just marginally anxious, that would, have been, that would have been troubling. That would be like, raise my anxiety. I can be an anxious person. It would raise my anxiety for sure. And yet Jesus comforts his friends. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Literally, do not, do not let your hearts be anxious or distressed. Let your hearts be at peace. John, Jesus continues this theme later in, in John 14. He says, Peace I, ha- uh, peace I leave you, and my peace I give to you. Again, it's a recurring theme of Christ's ministry. Peace, peace, peace. He talks about it all the time. Matthew 6, 25, do not be anxious about your life. Uh, Matthew 24, 6, though you hear rumors of wars, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious, be at peace. Of course, we feel like we have reason to be anxious these days. And that's, and that's reasonable. We do, at times. It feels that way, at least. But Jesus speaks the same words to us. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me, believe in God, and believe in me also. Have faith in me, trust in me, just as you trust in the Father. That's something that I think we hear on a regular basis. We hear, you know, trust, trust, in, trust in Christ just as you trust in the Father, because three in one, right? One God, Christ the Son. So we hear it on a regular basis. But back then, what Jesus was saying was shocking. Shocking. He was putting himself on equal terms with God. That was blasphemous. Just never would have been thought of. But what he wants his disciples, what he wants us to understand, is that the same trust we've placed in the Father can be placed in the Son, can be placed in him. Because they both keep their promises equally. 
Trust in Christ. He will keep us safe from all dangers and harms. It doesn't mean life will be difficult or be, will be without difficulties. It doesn't mean it will be trouble-free. Clearly, we all understand that. But we can trust him to protect us regardless of what troubles arise, just as he has in the past. We can trust him whether things are going well or whether things are going poorly. We can trust Christ and we can have his peace. Think, think about it like this. Think about it like the brakes of your car. Now, just, just for, it, it's always good to have your brakes checked on a regular basis. Anytime you take them into the shop, make sure your brakes are safe, right? But I doubt any of us get in the car and do a full brake check every single time we go someplace. I would bet you most of us get in the car and don't even think about, huh, I, I wonder if the brakes are going to work this time. We don't think about it. It just comes naturally. We get in the car, we drive, and, and, and we expect that when we stomp on the pedal, whether we're stop, coming to a, I guess we do been stop at a four-way stop by stomping on the pedal, but you know, if we're coming to a gradual stop at a, at a four-way stop, or, or stopping in an emergency because a, a child's ball has, run, has rolled out in front of us, we simply trust. We don't even think about the fact that the brakes are working. We, our foot just sort of naturally stomps on the brake. How many, how many have ever taught a teenager to drive? Right? All right. You know what experience I'm talking about, right? You, you know how that works. First, first teenager I ever taught to drive was in San Antonio. It, she was my niece. She had come to visit us for three weeks, and she had never driven before. Her parents hadn't taken her out yet. She had just turned 15. They hadn't had the chance. They just put her on a plane and sent her to us. Maybe that, was, maybe that was their intent, I don't know. Uh, so she said, can you take me driving? I'm like, sure, you know, I'm, I want to be the cool uncle. I'll, I'll teach you how to drive. You know, we'll be. So I take her to the high school parking lot. We drive around and around and around and around for what seemed like hours and hours. And eventually, she was doing really, really well. And I thought, great, we're about a mile from home. We're going to head up Stone Oak Parkway, and we'll be home shortly. Take us there. <laughs> It's funny what other cars, how that distracts a young driver's mind. It's funny how it makes them panic when a car just comes up beside you. It just, it's funny. There were, there were so many moments where, where I, I thought I was going to die. You know, even in the passenger seat, my foot was naturally searching for the brake pedal. You know what I'm talking about? You're hitting, you're hitting the floor of the, of the passenger side like Fred Flintstone trying to get started for work. You know, it's like, it's just natural. And you go, why don't they put extra brake pedals in cars? Why don't they do that? It's such a simple thing to add. But they don't. But, but, but think about it. If you, if you don't believe me, on the way home, whoever's driving, just give it a test. You know, head towards the guardrail really, really fast and see what the person in the passenger seat does. It, it, they're they're going to stomp on the floor. Just naturally. If they've been driving any period of time, just naturally. Because that's what we do. We know that's how we stop the car. Okay, so taking it back to Jesus. Do you see where I'm going with this? That is, in essence, what Christ is calling us to do. Trust me. Don't stop and think about it. Well, will God save me this time? I don't know. This is a pretty big deal. Trust me. Can he really get me through? Trust me. Trust me. Trust me as you've always trusted me. Trust me as you trust the Father. He says all this as the basis for what he says next. 
In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go, go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to take you to myself, that where I go, you may be also. Trust me. Trust me. I'm preparing this place for you. My hospitality is poured out for you. Trust me. Jesus is promising his followers a place in God's house, a place in God's presence, a place where we will receive God's protection and God's provision. The provision that he promises all those who follow him. Again, in biblical culture, it was, it was part of the expectation. You didn't just invite somebody in and say, okay, you can sleep here, but you're on your own for dinner and everything else. No, you gave them a place where they could rest and relax and, and, and sleep and feel safe and, and a place where they could clean up and they could eat. You, you, you provided for them. It was an expectation. And Christ enters into this, into this invitation to us with that same expectation. I'm providing for you. I'm offering you a place where all your needs will be met. Any, any Big Bang Theory uh, fans? Anybody watch Big Bang Theory? All right, so a couple. It, it, it's Sheldon, right? Uh, for those of you who have never seen it, he's this awkward physicist with a PhD and doesn't understand a lot of things and, and social, social structures and cues he doesn't get most of the time. But the one thing he does get is when someone comes into his house upset, into his apartment upset, he always offers them a warm beverage. He always offers them something that, that, to calm them. He provides for them. He provides for their needs. Again, we look at Psalm 23, it's, it's as David said, right? He says that God prepares a table for him before his enemies. God is preparing a place for us in the same way. He's preparing a place that all of our needs will be provided for, all of our protection, everything that we thought we feared or that we once feared in this world will no longer, no longer harm us. It's a place not unlike Eden, where Adam and Eve had everything. So to God's house, in God's house, none will be wanting. It will be a place of complete protection, a place of complete provision, and the entire goal will be that we can go there and rest. Not that we won't work, but, but our souls will be at rest. The longings of our hearts will be fulfilled. Our bodies will no longer fall apart. The desires that we have, the needs that we have, we won't worry about those anymore because they'll all be provided. The anxiety that fills our hearts and our heads at times will be gone. And we will simply rest in God's presence. And it's all connected to his glorious hospitality. The hospitality of him inviting us in. Inviting us into a place where we can be with him. A place where... We have peace of, of knowing him and being known by him. First name basis. Hey, God. Hey, Doug. I mean, I don't know. It's probably not going to be anything like that. But the idea is, the concept is, it's a place where we're in God's immediate presence and have that peace of knowing that our sins are forgiven, the peace of knowing that nothing can separate us from God's love. The peace that Paul says makes no sense to anyone else because it's a peace that gives us calm and allows us to breathe when things seem crazy and everyone else is anxious. 
How can you be so calm? Because God, He's invited me into that. He's invited us into that. Brings calm to our heart, whatever, uh, to our hearts amid whatever life storms might be upon us, whether it's a pandemic or political uncertainty or civil unrest or whatever it might be. God invites us into that rest, into that peace. And he calls us then as his followers to welcome others in in the exact same way that he welcomes us. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to have people into your house. If you're not comfortable doing that, okay. You can do it right here at Refuge Church. Every single Sunday you come, every time you're in this building, you can be a hospitable person. You can be a person who who lays out hospitality for those who are coming in and may not know who God is. We can welcome others into God's protection, into his provision, into his rest. We can offer non-believers a safe place to experience God's love and investigate what it means to know him. It means providing others an opportunity to ask uncomfortable questions. Questions not that make them uncomfortable. Well, maybe they do, but will, will make us uncomfortable means inviting them in and providing an opportunity to wrestle with with difficult topics and and difficult aspects of their own lives. It means inviting them in and giving them an opportunity to share their personal struggles without the fear of being chastised or ostracized or rejected or, or whatever it might be. Inviting people in in a hospitable way, the way Christ invites us in, means loving them the way he loves us. Means accepting them as they are and loving them too much to let them stay that way. It's an open door policy. It's the same policy my parents had, in a way. I mean, I don't know that my parents had gone through the whole thought process of we're being like Jesus, and I think it was just natural for them. It's who they were. It grew out of who they were. My mother just sold that house uh, just last year, actually. She hasn't been in it for about three years because she her health had deteriorated enough. She's 88. Her, her health had deteriorated enough. She moved in with my sister. Um, but up to the time she moved out, the house remained open door. People were, were still showing up. The next door neighbor that, she, that, that, that was part of her in-home daycare that I grew up with, he, he was one of my best men, or one of my uh, groomsmen in my wedding, just a year younger than me. When he would come home to see his parents, he would still come over, walk in, go to the refrigerator and grab something. Because that's the type of place it was. That hospitality continued long, long after. I can't tell you how many people I had seen come through those doors over the years. I lived in that house for 21 years straight. I think it was 21, 19, 20, eh, something like that. Um, People would come over uh, when they had good news to celebrate, right? We're pregnant. We're going to have a baby. I got a new promotion. Whatever it might be. I got accepted to college. They came over when, when, when they needed a shoulder to cry on. My mom died. I lost my job. My marriage is ended. Both things. And there was never any judgment on it. Come in. Be who you are. Accept the hospitality that we're offering. It's the type of place that my parents... Created, the, uh, the place where everyone felt welcome. A little bit like Cheers, maybe. I hadn't thought about that, but you know, everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. Um, I've always had dreams. 
maybe sometime y'all can remember to do this. When I come into the room, you can say, Darden! You don't have to do that. But <laughs> you get the idea. It's hospitality. It's welcoming people in in such a way that they, that they want to be there. That maybe they need to be there. Something's missing, and they need to feel that sort of connection. It was far from perfect in our house. It's a tiny house, one bathroom, three siblings, and my parents. I don't know how people do. It's hard. It was hard. It wasn't perfect. But I do believe that the house that I grew up in gives us a small glimpse of the house that God invites us into, a place that he calls us to be, and he calls us to welcome others the way he welcomes us. Will you pray with me, please? Lord God, sometimes uh, you call us to do things that, are, that, that make us feel uneasy. Maybe hospitality isn't something that, we, that just rolls naturally from us. We prefer to, to stand back and watch and let others do that sort of thing. And, that, and, that's, and that's great. And yet at the same time, maybe, maybe, maybe you're calling us to stretch out and, and, to, and to connect to people as they come through the doors here at Refuge. Maybe you're calling us to do that in our own neighborhoods where we just simply offer a smile or, or a kind gesture to a neighbor that is in need. Maybe in our workplace. When we see one of our uh, fellow workers who seems down or struggling. God, you call us to welcome others into your presence the way you welcome us into your presence. We pray that as we seek to follow you and seek to love you with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, Lord, that you would use us to do that very thing, to be a people who offer a, a, a place of protection, a place to, to, to speak whatever is on others' minds place where they can feel comfortable and provided for, a place, Lord, where they can find rest. Lord, we thank you for the rest that you give us in your presence. We thank you for the peace that comes with that, Lord, and we pray that as we continue to worship in this place, that you continue to draw us closer and closer to you, that we might know you more and love you. In Christ's holy name, amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.